0: Welcome to this episode of the Bell Education Podcast with me, Rebecca Stead, and
1: me, Sam Bufton,
0: ably assisted by our producer, Laura.
1: Today's very special guest is Dr. Will Tosh. He is a lecturer and research fellow at the Shakespeare's Globe Theatre. Good afternoon, Will. Hello, Sam. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for coming.
1: Coming to our London school this time, a change of venue for recording. Yes. As we are just stone Strove from the the wonderful Shakespeare's Globe Theatre here for our our London School. Um, well, just as an introduction, tell us a bit about you and your role at
2: at the theatre. Um, well, it, it's a great pleasure to come here this 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 afternoon. Partly because I, as of ten minutes ago, I was about ten feet away from where we're now sitting because Bell Education and the Globe share a dividing wall, or at least a dividing wall with one of our education and rehearsal studios. And um, so the Globe uh, has been on this site. In London, since 1997 was our official opening. Although, of course, construction started sometime before then. But of course, the original Globe Theatre, or Shakespeare's Globe, built in 1599, um, a, a few meters away on, on Park Street, and you can still see the site of that first building. So the modern Globe has this connection, this, this sort of the, this kind of interesting story about reconstruction and rebuilding. It, it, it's not Shakespeare's globe, sadly. It wasn't, it's not the one he built although you do sometimes hear people as they pass by the building go, that Shakespeare Theatre, that's been here since the 16th century and I, <laughs> I have to kind of yeah. control myself Do you jump not, out from the just, shadows? <laughs> no, I don't because I think people should live in their sort of, in their kind of happy fantasies but it, yeah. it isn't sadly, it isn't, sadly a, 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 an original 16th century building um, but it was built uh, designed, constructed in the, it, following the vision of our, our founder, the, the, the actor and director Sam Wanamaker Zoe Wanamaker's dad. Zoe Wanamaker's dad, exactly. So Sam was um, a wonderful actor, um, activist uh, uh, um, through the 1940s and 50s uh, and 60s. He was American. Uh, Left the US um, in the middle of the sort of McCarthyite... Um, clamped down on 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 communists and and, and people on the left, and, and Sam came.
1: Was he named by McCarthy?
2: Um, he was effectively blacklisted. Was yeah, there? so he he had to, he he left the U.S. and he, he he worked in America afterwards a little bit, but no, he 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 made his life anew in England and worked as an actor and and, and director. Um, uh, ran um, a theatre in Liverpool for a long time, and and one of his sort of real passions was Shakespeare and performance of Shakespeare. Mm but also the rediscovery of Shakespearean performance conditions. So Sam had been lucky enough as a, as a young man to, to perform in a, in a kind of early prototype globe reconstruction, a number of them actually in, in the United States. There'd been a, a kind of flurry in the early part of the 20th century of, of, of forms of rebuilding and reconstruction, um, a kind of antiquarian urge to rebuild... Uh, uh, historic buildings, and that had led by the by the nineteen twenties and thirties to, to, to globe theatres in slightly inverted commas being built in various sort of exhibition sites in the US and places like that. And there are still a number of of old globes around the world that date from from that time. Um, and Wanamaker came to, to to England in a sense with that um, that experience and that kind of enjoyment of seeking in the past for an inspiration about kind of contemporary performance with him and was quite surprised to find that that didn't really exist Uh, that didn't really exist in in, in the UK that there weren't you know there wasn't a sort of sight to Shakespeare's working life he he, the story goes that he sort of walked around um, uh, Southwark in the 1950s and 60s um, l- looking for the great kind of symbol of Shakespeare's work and found a plaque that was put up in the 19th century with a bunch of incorrect information but didn't really find anything else so that was sort of that was that's what sort of fired him to um, to spend a, a, a many many years pursuing this desire to kind of rebuild Shakespeare's globe, create the circumstances again for the you know, that the, the led to the creation of, Manlet, of King Lear these sort of astonishing plays and it was a very very long journey so he sets up um, a number of kind of organisations, that successor organisations of which Shakespeare's Globe now is, which sought to conduct research, to work with academics and artists, to kind of shape this plan into something that was feasible and workable. And it took a very long time, um, but uh, he gained support from lots of um, figures in the arts world. There were various battles along the way, um, but by the early 1990s, late 80s, early 90s, Shakespeare's Globe was kind of on the road to being built, in in a form as uh, how best to put it, in a, in a form as accurately as as accurately historical as was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, we know Sam Wanamaker knew at the time his designers and the historians who worked with worked with him knew that it it was it would only ever be a best guess. We haven't got the full. Um, archaeological remains of the globe accessible. There's only a kind of small fragment that have been dug Mm. dug up. What we're doing is a kind of ongoing sort of artistic recreation of something using as much information as we can to create a space that replicates that that, that first globe theatre from 1599. Um, Sam Wanamaker died shortly before the globe opened. Um, He didn't live to see it completed but did live to see significant sort of elements of the structure uh, built. Um, and from, I suppose, so from the late 90s, the Globe has been a, a, a real centre for, for Shakespeare in London, probably the, the centre the of Shakespeare yeah. in London, mm. and one of the centres of Shakespeare in the world. Uh, it's, led, it's led the way in performance that is informed by and inspired by uh, historic practice, but it's also led the way and is leading the way in performance for the 21st century and the performance for everyone, um, in London and the UK and, and the world, and really leads the way in terms of opening up the heritage of Shakespeare's work and the messages, both um, provocative and encouraging, in his work to as many people uh, as possible.
1: Yeah, well, that is a yeah. very comprehensive uh, background, absolutely fascinating.
2: So the Sam Wanamaker Theatre is, is our is the is the is the as an additional space, second space. I feel that I feel guilty calling it the second space because I think it's just as important. But it's our indoor venue, um, our sort of sister venue, let's say, to the outdoor Globe Theatre, uh, Shakespeare's Company. Um, Owned and performed, worked in the Globe from 1599 till it burnt down in 1613, and then again when they rebuilt the Globe in 1614. Uh, but they also had an indoor theatre, which um, was, was acquired quite late in Shakespeare's career, but it was a roofed, indoor, candle lit, much smaller space over the river in Blackfriars. Uh, and a number of Shakespeare's later plays, plays like The Tempest, plays like The Winter's Tale, uh, uh, Henry VIII, um, two noble kinsmen, were written with a view to performance in, in that sort of space as mm. well. So it was always considered very important for the globe, our modern globe, to have an indoor venue that, that replicated some element of that indoor world. Um, it's a much harder prospect to rebuild the Blackfriars than the globe, and the globe is not a straightforward prospect to rebuild, uh, because we don't have even the the, the, the kind of Patchy evidence that we have for, for the okay. globe. So what we have instead in the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse and, and the name you know named after Sam mm. suggests as well that it isn't a straightforward reconstruction. We have what we call an archetype um, indoor Jacobean house so a, a theater that draws on what we know about a number of different theaters using some um, slightly later theatrical plans that have been retrofitted retro designed to replicate an early 17th century indoor candlelit space um, so it's I think it's a magical space it's incredibly beautiful a lot smaller than the globe and sort of insanely intimate um, it only seats about 300 people and it's and performances take place under 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 candlelight which is wow. completely magical. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, so that's
1: Shakespeare's footprint in London, but of course it didn't start in London. It was Stratford-upon-Avon, um, and I've been fortunate enough to spend some time at the King Edward School, um, Shakespeare's school, um, in Stratford-upon-Avon, um, where they have Shakespeare's original classroom and the chapel, his birthplace, the church where he's buried. Um, so, can you tell us a bit about his his early times in in Stratford upon Avon and how he ended up being such a
2: figure in in the uh, London? Theatre scene. Um, Sam, where do I start? Um, it, it, it's it's yes. It, we look, so Stratford upon Avon in, in 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 England and Warwickshire has um has, has Shakespeare's birthplace and the wonderful Shakespeare's birthplace Trust that, that runs the buildings associated uh, with 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 Shakespeare. and we like we sometimes actually with with Shakespeare's workplace uh, in London, um, uh, which annoys our colleagues in Stratford quite a lot. Um, there's. What's what's interesting in terms of Shakespeare biography is that actually his his youth um, is it, sort of comparatively quite well attested. You know, we don't we don't have you know vast amounts of um, uh, um, kind of archival historical evidence, but actually we know quite a lot about his upbringing, his family, his schooling um, uh, at the grammar school, the King's New School in Stratford. Um, what we don't have, really annoyingly, we don't have the registers. Uh, from the years that, that, that he was at school. So we don't have a kind of, you know, in Form 1, little William Shakespeare.
1: But did he not um, write on one of the desks? Because if you, if you go in there, you can still use the original desks, And I'm sure that I saw William Shakespeare written on there.
2: It may not it, have been by him, it's of course. Not, it's not, but if, it's not <laughs> by him. Yeah, yeah. So there is... But, but Shakespeare's father was, um, was effectively the mayor of Stratford in the year that he went to school, or just before the year he went to school. Is
0: this why we don't know his birth date?
2: Well, we know his. We know his baptisms. His, baptism baptism his But that, baptism that's date. the case for almost every yeah.
0: person okay. before
2: a certain date because the, because births aren't recorded, yeah. but baptisms okay. are. So and baptisms usually happened within a couple of days, unlike now within yeah. a couple of days of birth. So okay, so it is his, a rough. We know his date within you know maximum a week.
0: Okay. Know, you know, All right. Within, we know his date yeah. It was
2: his April. It's April 23rd, 1564. 1564. Yeah. Fifteen sixty-four. Fifteen sixty-four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, so Shakespeare's the son of a very, very high-ranking city official, which means he is he's, he's in, entitled to go to the, the grammar school, which he he did, and we know he did partly because he puts scenes of grammar school education in his plays. Um, in The Merry Wives of Windsor, there's a scene where the the the, the school teacher, who's also a parson called uh, Sir Hugh Evans, um, takes a little boy through his grammar lesson, and um, the little boy's called William. Okay. Uh, and so Shakespeare's teacher wasn't called Hugh Evans, but he was called Jenkins, which is also a Welsh ne- Anyway, so there's lots yeah. of sort of ways in which that scene can kind of, you know, can be read as a little sort of witty piece of autobiography. We know he went to grammar school because he received the education that was 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 given at a grammar school in the 16th century, and you can see that in in virtually every line of of his plays. And it was a very rigorous in every meaning of that word education, and one that was more or less solely designed to um, furnish the boys who who underwent that education with a complete fluency in Latin and a, a sort of full knowledge of the classical intellectual inheritance. So Shakespeare, if he got a day of lessons in maths, he'd have been lucky. If he got taught, he certainly wouldn't have been taught French. He wouldn't have been taught to draw, he wouldn't have you know, he didn't learn those things. He didn't receive lessons in English literature. He he was taught Latin. And he was taught to think it, to argue in it, to write in it, to read it, to appreciate it. That that was his new mother tongue by the time he was a, a teenager, young teenager. And he was, you know, caned if he got it wrong. You know, this was a this was a really rigorous process. That I guess, from the point of view of early modern renaissance England, was designed to produce intellectually very able, I suppose, civil servants, people who might work in the church. I mean, it's an odd way to go about a general education when mm-hmm. the only thing you teach them is Latin, but that was the that was the idea. Yeah. Um, and people who went through the education William went through became, well, lots of them did what their parents did and became merchants and traders and Provincial city officials But lots of them also became lawyers and Diplomats and traders And yeah. clergy it, Loads of them become clergy And I suppose it just so happens It was entirely coincidental That that kind of training Was also really useful For a wannabe playwright and actor Because one of the things he would do As a schoolboy is write essays essentially or kind of first person orations on particular themes. He might be asked by his teacher by Mr Jenkins to write an essay defending and then uh, challenging for example the assassination of Julius Caesar. Was that a good thing to do? Was that a bad thing to do? Please turn in a thousand words by tomorrow on that topic or on both topics. There was this process um, called sort of arguing both sides of the Question. That was a sort of rhetorical or rhetorical idea was that you argue one side and then you argue the other. And that's amazing for a dramatist yeah. because that teaches you how to see both sides of a story. It teaches you how to kind of voice, um, you know, voice one character's views and then switch sides and, and, and voice another. And we know also that grammar school syllabuses uh, uh, used Roman drama, um, uh The dramatist Terence, for example, probably not Plautus, who Shakespeare also read and and loved because he was a bit racy. Uh, But boys would have read drama. Lots of schools, probably Stratford as well, we don't 100% know, but lots of schools encouraged, well, made boys perform, would get them acting Roman plays. So kind of entirely accidentally, the education that lots of, of, of boys and young men got in English grammar schools was kind of ideal to turn them into playwrights and performers. And so
1: he got that grounding, um, and how did he make his way um, from from Stratford uh, down to London? Because the trains went on at the, the time. The trains were not
2: on, and actually the trains are still not great. <laughs> yeah. you <know>. That's just, <laughs> um, if I could tell you that. For sure, Sam, I would make a lot of money with a Shakespeare biography that I... Um, yes, yeah, so I mean, I don't, I don't mean <laughs> so, the particular route, so we, but so what, we don't, what drew him? So we don't really know. So there's um, one of the things that kind of motivates Shakespeare biographers is a, a sort of concept of, of the lost years, um, which is a bit kind of fantastical and silly because any number, countless, most early modern people who were not monarchs have great patches of their lives that, of course, we can't we can't attest to from the historical record because it was 400 years ago and things disappear and people don't write stuff down. So we don't fully know what Shakespeare did after he left school. um, We know that he marries young. He marries at 18 to Anne Hathaway, Agnes Hathaway, which is very young. It's very unusual. People did not tend to marry very young um, in Shakespeare's time,
1: but there might have been a reason for the, well, the reason quick that, marriage. It absolutely,
2: it was that Anne was, was several months pregnant. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. so they marry in uh, probably the very first week in December, very end of November, um, and uh, uh, Anne is pregnant in, in August. So, so it's yeah, that that's obviously why they marry. But it, it, it the, the, the the youth is the Shakespeare's youth is unusual, and and, and Anne was seven or, seven or eight years older than him. We'll have to check that figure, but she's not she's older. Um, he, they marry in, 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 uh, they have children um, three children and at some point after the birth of his twins uh, in 1585 um, Judith and Hamlet uh, Shakespeare comes to London uh, and we don't know actually exactly when uh, we we can we, we know at the latest possible point because there are references um, in print that we take to be to Shakespeare, although they're not—that's not absolutely guaranteed. But we also assume from from dating and from sort of interpretation of his work that he's he's writing by the late 1580s, the very late 1580s, early 1590s. And um, to do that, he's also acting. We know that, and presumably he acts before he writes. Um, I think that's probably a fair assumption. So we don't really know how he 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 moves from Stratford, where there is obviously not a theatre industry, to London, where there is. Um, There's lots of theories about time he might have spent uh, before getting married in the north of England, in Yorkshire, where he may have been a tutor or a schoolmaster. He may have been involved in some kind of theatricals or or, or music um, in in an aristocratic house in, in, in Yorkshire. He may have been involved vaguely with an aristocratic patron, uh, called Ferdinando Lord Strange, who has a sort of connection to um, various people in Shakespeare's orbit, but it's all kind of guesswork. It's about it's really about sort of saying, well, how how would someone of Shakespeare's background kind of end up, you know, in in in, in London? It's not it's not impossible. Um, and lots of people did it. Most people who worked in theatre who wrote plays of 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 Shakespeare's. Quality and a bit less Uh, you know they came from backgrounds very like Shakespeare's you know that's not odd it's just what was it that took that particular person at that point from a Midlands town a hundred or so miles south to London Mm. leaving his family and children which again it's not wildly uncommon for people working in sectors and industries that took them around the country but something motivated him to do that probably something a bit more than just needing to make money you know there's a desire to create, the desire to perform desire to write. Could he have been asked? Could there,
1: could there have been a compelling reason for him to come down because someone wanted him specifically oh, to do so? Maybe,
2: yeah. We don't know when um, he, he, he starts writing plays we don't know if there are a whole bunch of plays that he wrote and put in a drawer and then didn't touch again and then started afresh once he got to London. You know, We, we can't even tell you what his first play was a lot of people think it's Two Gentlemen of Verona which is a, an, a definitely an early play but it might be one of the, the Henry VI plays. It's also a very early uh, early work. So
1: 39 people think, is that right, 39 plays? Do you know what, I
2: actually always get confused, but there's 37, 38 and 39. And I think it sort of depends on whether you count some of the lost plays. So there's a, a, mm-hmm. a, a lost play called Cardinio, which Shakespeare writes right at the very end of his career. Uh, there's probably a lost play called Love's Labour's One. Uh, we think. It's certainly named as a play, but it might be a name for another play. Um, there may be others that we don't know about. We don't know that they're lost because we don't know that they ever existed. Um, and there are plays that are uh, assigned to Shakespeare that in the past weren't. And there are plays that were assigned to Shakespeare in the past that probably aren't and we don't count them anymore. So it's all yeah. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. And am <laughs> If you have any questions
1: or comments about this podcast series, please drop us a line at podcast at bellenglish.com.
0: And then here we are in London in the Globe Theatre. Yes, indeed. So, what does a typical day working at the Globe, maybe on a play, what does that look like?
2: Oh well, I, I mean that—that's yeah. It could. I'm there is sure, no I'm typical sure there day. there is a typical day. <laughs> so, so one of the things, um, you know, the Globe does the Globe does a lot. So it's you know we're, we're theatre and we put on two seasons. Per year, we don't really have a downtime. Obviously, we're talking in um, the summer of 2021 when we've all been through a lot of downtime, and the Globe has had a very difficult period of not of not of not working in the past year and a half, or not I should say not putting on not putting on public performances. We all we all all kept working very hard, Um, but as well as the performances, we run a very um, full education program. Yes, Uh, I I helped run the, the the higher education and research division. We teach our students. We run an MA course. We run a conservatory training course for students from Rutgers University in the US. Any number of student groups come through our doors for courses that might last six hours yeah, or of course. six weeks or longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we also engage very strongly with, with scholarly research. I'm I'm a scholar, my, my, my boss, Professor Farrakhrim Cooper, is a very prominent Shakespearean scholar and we, we write and we we, 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 we Lecture and talk on Shakespeare mm. and, and engage with with Shakespearean scholarship. So, so all of that kind of happens yeah. and goes on around uh, the, the the seasons and the work of the theatre department. Yeah. So, really, it could be it could be anything. It could be um, this morning. I was I was working with with colleagues in the theatre department on research and development for a play that might conceivably um, be staged next summer mm-hmm. uh, in 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 twenty two. Is that for you to to help to inform
1: what? How authentic the play would need yeah, to be? Yeah, not, not
2: not really. So one of the you know one of the things I think is really key about the Globe's practice is that it's not about um, policing performance or production. Mm. You know, so so in many in, on many occasions over the past twenty five years, we've explored forms of performance and production that um, respond to what we call original practices. So we might you know put on a, a production where the, the, the clothing and the costuming is as accurate and historically appropriate as we can make it or the music is exactly as close as we can get to early modern musical styles um, we sometimes cast single gender so of course Shakespeare's company was yeah. all, all men um, but even then there's a, there's a slight twist to that auth- 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 inverted commas authenticity because we used all adult actors and Shakespeare's company the, the, the boys who played the women were probably between the ages of about 13, 12 or 13 and, and, mm. and 21. So it's kind of authentic, but actually it's not because we live in the modern world and there are certain things that we, we're not going to do. But actually, if, other than those experiments in original practice, where the authenticity lies is in the architecture and the space Mm. so the space is the great unmovable and that's the globe's great strength i think is that whatever you do you have a, a large open stage you have an enormous yard that can hold 700 standing audience members and three vertiginous steep galleries Stacked on top of each other, that can hold another fifteen hundred. Well, no, that's sorry, that's I'm, I'm slightly exaggerating. What is it? They can hold another thousand. Mm. Um, they're allowed to hold another thousand. We could hold more, but that's the that's the limit. So you know, you've once you can't move beyond those limits, you find us you find a kind of theatrical language that informs what you do so it's not about saying oh well in shakespeare's time they didn't do it this way yeah it's about saying we've built the theater that replicates shakespeare's working practices now go into that theater and be artists Mm -hmm. be artists in whatever way you want to be because in doing that you are bouncing off the conditions that made shakespeare
1: would the original plays with the way they performed would there have been sets as we know them in the theatre today.
2: Well, there wouldn't have been substantial built sets, partly because uh, Shakespeare's company played a different, uh, performed a different play every day. So one day they do Hamlet, the next mm. day they do Twelfth Night, the next day they do a play by someone who wasn't Shakespeare, and etc. etc. Okay. So so you don't. No theatre in the world can have the storage and facilities to turn around a set. Day in, day out. That's, yeah. So they don't, they don't do that. They, they, they build a theatre, which itself can be anything. It's a theatre that, you know, some of your listeners will have seen pictures of the globe. You've got a big stage. You've got three doorways, one big one in the middle. You've got a balcony, gallery space. And that's kind of enough. And you've got a, lot, a substantial kind of backstage area. We call it the tiring house or a tiring house from where actors make their entrances and exits. Mm -hmm. And of course you can make sounds back there, make sounds from below the stage, above the stage. Once you've got that, that could be a great, that could be a castle, that can be a bedroom, that Mm. can be a heath, that can be a sea scene, that can be a ship, that can be anything. And of course, modern performances of modern productions at the globe where we don't play a different play every single day, where performances or productions might run in repertory, yes, we can can have decorative sets. But that set doesn't change the basic premise of the basic geography of the of the stage and in shakespeare's time they wouldn't have changed that either but what they would have had is a kind of array of costumes extraordinarily sort of for the time lavish costumes where the kind of lion's share of their budget as a company would have gone because those those clothes were, were expensive and you know bits, items of furniture brought on and brought off so chairs tables a bed oh. think of the last scene in othello you know you, there are certain there are certain places where you need chunky items of furniture and those are the things that will help kind of create the sense of place but they're not you know they're not dropping backcloths shown to the set every five seconds or kind of moving great sort of you know scenic units around they're just there wasn't the time or the the inclination to do that in Shakespeare's theatre in fairness in in other contexts in Shakespeare's life such as court performances especially of amazing kind of lavish presentations called court masks um, they did use set quite kind of impressive set engineering and machinery. Uh, but that wasn't something that Shakespeare's much more kind of, um, you know, kind of commercial theatre could do.
1: Do any of the costumes or, or known used items in plays still exist? They
2: don't, no. And um, what does exist is a wonderful document uh, um, um, belonging to a, a kind of theatre colleague and competitor of Shakespeare called Philip Henslow, who ran a, another theatre, who has a, a costume list listing all the costumes mm-hmm. that his theatre company owned. A great number. Uh, and some of them are sort of described in ways that say, you know, the gown for so-and-so, in, you know, which, attaching it to a particular kind of yeah. a particular character. Um, with some, and, and they're clearly very, very lavish and very expensive. You know, this is not a time in the in late 16th century when you can kind of m- sort of, you know, roughly sort of model a king's coronation robe with nylon. If you want to have a king's coronation robe on stage, you have to spend the money on fur and ermine and gold trim and all the... You know, that costs money. So they, they looked after those, those things with um, great care.
1: I bet they did.
0: Yeah. So people often, controversially, say that Shakespeare is boring but clearly that's not the case for you. Um, what is it about Shakespeare and his work that has inspired you?
2: I think the first thing I would say, honestly, is you're allowed to find Shakespeare boring. Mm. I, I really, I think this is, um, it, it, it can be very frustrating for people, I think, to be told you must love something yeah. or someone, um, especially if the experience of that individual hasn't been that great. Mm. I think own that experience and, and, and be happy that that's a fair reaction, I completely, completely understand. And, and it can, everything can be boring if badly yeah. engaged with or badly taught or, or perhaps badly performed. I, I think there is a um, there is a reason, there's, there are many, many reasons why Shakespeare is still read and performed. I think there are lots of interesting reasons and perhaps slightly problematic reasons why he has such a central place in our culture and global culture. And I think a lot of those reasons are being, are being probed and, and discussed and aired now, which is really good because... Over the past 400 years, Shakespeare his, and his work has been caught up in all sorts of discourses around yeah. national identity and around mm-hmm. patriotism and around Englishness and around the empire. And those things are historical facts, which we, and we live in the, the shadow of them. And we are slowly going through a process of, of reckoning with that. But what that doesn't do is take away from the literary and dramatic and humane centre of what he did, which was to write, as Sam said... 37, 38, 39 Mm. to to be determined plays as well as a collection of 154 sonnets two long narrative poems three narrative poems which are exceptional Mm -hmm. works from an early point in history and also a point I think where a lot of the things that make us who we are now were kind of coming into play whether that's Psychology, or politics, or culture, or society—Shakespeare was there. He just got lucky. You know, he just got lucky to be living at that at that point. But he was there to start kind of commenting on that. And I, you know, I don't. I think it's. I think one has to be slightly careful about thinking of Shakespeare as a universal genius and the greatest writer who ever lived. Um, I haven't read all of world literature. And I can't tell you that in every language and every culture in the world, Shakespeare will come out on top. Mm. But I do know from my own enjoyment and experience of Shakespeare over many years that he's a writer I come back to again and again and again because um, there is something magical and something unconfounding, actually, about the way in which he is able to voice feelings and thoughts and beliefs and identities. In a sort of seemingly kaleidoscopic way mm. that came out of a single a single artistic brain, mm. um, and I'm also sort of should also point out that he, he worked as a, a playwright in a kind of collaborative world, and so a lot of what you know a lot of what he was doing was also bouncing off his actors and artists and other writers to to create some of that world. But it was it was him doing the making, yeah. and I think that is sort of. Amazing. Yeah, um, and he's
0: still taught in schools today, so. Well,
2: he is, and I think, again, there's, lot, there's, you know, there's arguments and, and debates to be had about, about the kind of continued presence by, by sort of statute of Shakespeare mm. in, the, in the curriculum. I, I, I would support his presence there. I think, I think it's right that he's taught, I think that his work is taught, um, because I think it is, um, I think he does give access to great artistic and literary and um, human pleasure. And I would, I would hate people to be denied that.
0: How about, I mean, now we live in an age of Xboxes and social media and YouTube, and how, how can Shakespeare be made to appeal maybe to young people a little bit more?
2: Well, I mean, we've all been through a year of, um, more than a year of, 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 of um, enforced silence when it comes to live performance. Um, we ha- haven't been welcoming people um, into, uh, into the globe. But like a lot of theatres and a lot of art, art makers, you know, we went online and went online mm. in terms of either streamed performances or continuing conversations with our audiences through our social media ch- channels and, and finding ways to kind of keep, keep people's interest not only peaked but also to keep, I don't know, keep offering stuff to people, you know, uh, from wanting to keep our audiences... Served you know and I think then by by necessity that went online in the course of the past year and a half um, and the sort of the general kind of the on the online Shakespeare world such as it is uh, is is pretty epic and pretty mm. massive you know and I, and I think that sense of direct speech that sense of direct communication that is is so exciting when one reads or, or sees Shakespeare this idea of a voice, you know, and that voice is a character voice, but it comes from Shakespeare's brain and imagination, talking to you over 400 years, uh, I think can, can find a very welcome home on, on, online. You think of sort of TikTok videos or Instagram videos of yeah. speeches and things which proliferated through lockdown, of actors, you know, actors yeah. speaking to camera, speaking either sonnets or kind of, you know, excerpts from, from Shakespeare's plays that could be consumed like little memes, you know, just yeah. sort of not as part of a, of, of a full performance but just as a kind of little moment of clarity and beauty um, which is hugely popular and, and, and gave people an enormous amount of pleasure so I think in a, in a funny kind of way I, I think Shakespeare can, 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 can work in that environment that he would never have recognized but that you know that, that gives him another platform or gives his work another platform to um, give people pleasure <laughs> To keep up to date with our podcast series,
1: you can follow us on social media at Education Podcast. It's interesting when you talked about, um, people f- think, just think sometimes of Shakespeare that, all well, that'll be boring, if you haven't given it a go. I remember when I was at university, we went to uh, Russia, and we ended up going to the, the Bolshoi Ballet at the Bolshoi to see Swan Lake, and the only reason I went was because we didn't want to go to the zoo. Because we'd heard some some things about the zoo we weren't really keen on looking at <laughs> and we ended up going i thought ballet it was still the most incredible thing i've ever seen and yet if you'd asked me about ballet yeah. you'd have thought why well, do i want to go to the ballet it sounds boring it was absolutely incredible um and that was you know 30 years ago th- 25 years ago so uh, I would suggest to people who have a an idea of of Shakespeare being that old boring stuff um you know one of the ways to find out is is to go to someone like the Globe and and
2: find out for yourself because you may have been as surprised as I was about ballet well I also think that you know Shakespeare is a, is he's a playwright and I his his work needs to be performed and I think if you haven't seen it performed in a way that makes it make sense and that, and that's not to say one has to do a big number on it or kind of turn the production into something you know in a completely new context or well just if the if the if the language makes sense which is a matter of being clear and, and the actors knowing what they say it's it, shakespeare's language isn't isn't confounding or confusing if you hear it that way um, that makes a huge amount of yeah. difference. One of the you know, the best things that the, the Globe does is a project every year um, called Playing Shakespeare, Playing Shakespeare, um, sponsored by, uh, by Deutsche Bank, where we put on a production of a Shakespeare play, usually one on, on, on the GCSE syllabus, for 20,000 young people who come who come from, from London and from Birmingham for free with their schools to, to see the production. And it's a full production. It's, it's usually cut to run... Between ninety minutes and two hours at an interval, but that's not a lot of cutting. Um, Shakespeare himself is, he says his plays run about two hours, uh, and this is not a production that talk, talks down to its audience. Or, but it is a production that's designed to appeal to people uh, at school and young people and students. And the experience of, of audience members, school, school students, who see those plays, is is fascinating because you know for a lot of them it's their first time seeing live theatre, um, certainly Shakespeare first time at the Globe, for lots of them it's their first time in central London and they see a show that's 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 made for them and is presenting something they've been told is kind of important and significant and serious in a way that is, that is irreverent and that's again not to say that it's making fun of it but it's to say this is yours to engage with and whether that's Romeo and Juliet uh, or Much Ado About Nothing or Macbeth or Twelfth Night, all of which have, have, have appeared as part of this platform, um, the students come away feeling that they, 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 they claim ownership of it, which I think is the most important thing. Do you, yeah. do you
1: find them finding out they knew bits of Shakespeare without knowing where it was from? Because it, it is through, through all the language, isn't it? I mean, the, those common phrases and um, ways of saying things which, which are Shakespearean without kind of knowing yeah. that they are. yeah.
0: I remember going to see A Midsummer Night's Dream performed in a park as a teenager. And we walked around the park and you followed the actors. And it, for me, it was a completely different experience for just being in English class and studying Shakespeare that I did enjoy. Um, but, yeah, it definitely gives you that different perspective. And like you said, it, it's meant to be performed. Yeah.
2: And I think those memories stay with you as they as they, Absolutely. Have, for, as they have for you. Yeah. you know, And, and it's... And I think it's a memory of those images and a memory of, of experiencing something that feels exciting, interesting, different, and connects you to a, a a kind of piece of art from four centuries ago. Do
1: you think that's why they're, they're not books? I mean, if, if they were books, it'd be harder, wouldn't it? If they weren't prose expected to be performed, which is a different thing, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think it's probably relevant that, that of the works that survive from that period, the things that we, most people nowadays engage with and and know about are dramatic works. Yeah, they're not, there was a big market in prose fiction in Shakespeare's time and Shakespeare used a lot of the published prose fictions that he read and, and bought as sources for his plays. But we don't read Thomas Lodge's novella, Rosalind. We watch William Shakespeare's play As You Like It. Which rips off Rosalind. So, so I mean, so that you know, it's and it's because I think you know that that drama is, it, by its nature, a more dynamic, um, accessible format, uh, and I think it's also I think because, as you said, Sam, you know, a, a lot of Shakespeare's work, not only has sort of like, subtly infiltrated the English language, but the English language has rebuilt itself around Shakespeare's work. You know, in the sense mm-hmm. that it's it's become. It's become an absolute sort of bedrock of forms of speech and kind of structures of sort of feeling. You know, how many times do you, might you hear someone talk about a politician, perhaps, you know, with a, or with an ambitious wife and say, oh, they're the, they're, they're, they're the Macbeths of such and such? Or, you know, Judy, I mentioned Julius Caesar earlier, you know, kind of Shakespeare's play of that story has become the way most of us in the English speaking world think about that historical act. We don't go away and read. Tacitus, or however you know, we we watch Shakespeare's fictional version of it and think, oh, this must be true. Yeah, you know, there's lots of ways in which his work has just sort of taken root. I think it was my daughter's;
1: um, she's five. It was her film night recently, and she chose Romeo in Juliet, which I suspect you may well have an opinion on. Um, and I tried to explain to her where it came from Mm. and obviously it's difficult at Five but but, you know that is a a fairly it was a fairly big deal the the way they produced that film it was on uh, Netflix it was but it is—it's still the story of the the the, the, the two families, and it, and it was the Reds and the Blues, and it, and it was it was I thought a really nice way actually of she won't know it yet, but one day she may want well be introducing it to such young, children. and she might just go, I think I know this story, you know, it, wow. and it is everywhere, isn't it? And I,
2: I haven't, I, to my shame, I haven't seen Romeo and Juliet It's but all right. I actually, I it's, hear, it's all right. I hear really yeah, really right. good things. I hear very very good things. So and I and I think that's you know not not only is that. Is that great for your daughter and for five-year-olds watching it and enjoying it? But it's it's also what Shakespeare did. You know, he takes pre-existing stories, uh, either you know, uh, s- prose or, or kind of or or, or or indeed other plays that are that are in the ether, in the cultural ether, there for the taking. Adapts them, turns them into something new, and refashions them in his own image. And and so that's entirely in the spirit. So it's quite Shakespearean yeah. to do that. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there it we is. go.
0: Well. So, I don't know if you can answer this, um, but what would you say is your favourite Shakespeare
2: play? So, I used to have an answer to this, and that answer used to be Twelfth Night. And yes, I, yes, I used to have no problems admitting to that. Um, I, I, I read Twelfth Night a long time ago. I studied it at school. I was in it, or you know, and I just think it's the most magical play, partly because of its, if it's. Structure and the way it ends, and the reunions at the end, and I, But also, I just love the kind of gender-bending, fantasial mm. queer weirdness of it. Just really excites me. I've always mm-hmm. loved it. Um, I think I probably still would say Twelfth Night. Um, yeah. But I think with any play that you love, and then you see it time and time again, yeah. then you, just, you sort of you have a you have a brief moment of glut and think, oh, I, I don't know if I can, you know, if I can still call this my my favourite. But actually, the Globe's Twelfth Night, which just opened uh, a few days ago, I've yet to see, and I cannot. Wait to see it because I haven't mm. seen Twelfth Night in a so that's years. on now. Yeah. It is on now, along with Romeo and Juliet and Midsummer Night's Dream. So do if this hits the airwaves soon enough, do come. We'll be playing th- right through till October. Uh, so oh, it's certainly lots lots of wonderful things coming. coming How
1: here. the audience has been so far? Do you
2: know well, they've been good and they've been as good as they they've been as big as they can be. In okay, um, and we're gradually increasing capacity as the summer goes on and we've welcomed back standing audiences in our yard for the first time um, a week or so ago uh, which was a great a great joy
1: we know our our students do enjoy yeah when they get the opportunity to go to the the Globe Theatre it's always been a good highlight
2: I hope they can come back soon yeah so do we
0: yeah absolutely there's conspiracy theories Mm. around Shakespeare that you know the work that is attributed to him perhaps he didn't write um what do you think about those
2: this is such a, this is such a i think this is a, this is a this is a sad topic um and not a sad question record but what i mean is that it's it makes me sad um yeah I, I'm, my 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 response is often quite short tempered about this question and that's not fair um to the people who believe you have strong beliefs and strong interests. I'm, I'm just crossing
1: out half a dozen extra questions. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, this may, this, oh, may like, this
0: is a lead-in for some. So, Sam. Sam. so Sam. he definitely existed
2: uh, then. This may take a while. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. Th- my answer is he he 100 was responsible for yeah. the work that is as- ascribed to him, and 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 I know that for a bunch of, of reasons. Firstly, that in the fir- in the 200 years after he, he died, no one whispered that it wasn't yeah. him, and he has his name on title pages and Mm. a few years after he died his colleagues put together um, the first folio which is the first collected works of Shakespeare's plays with countless um, dedicatory epistles saying how wonderful he was. Uh, a folio costs a hell of a lot of money to print this was a major investment so Ben Johnson was involved um, with so that, Ben what so. um, uh, he, he wrote one of the dedicatory um, letters uh, and he was he was certainly kind of around he himself also had a folio of his plays published a few years earlier um, there was no question mark on, around his authorship of those plays there are a couple of plays as I mentioned that um, were ascribed to him that, that later on that probably aren't by him and, and and vice versa but that kind of general bulk of, of his plays the, 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 there's really no doubt at all and it, you, you can see, in the, you know, as you study them and, and 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 analyze them, that they're the work of an evolving brain and a, yeah. a kind of evolving artistic vision. That also ties in with the worlds that Shakespeare knew. Whether that was provincial Stratford, whether that was London, whether that was the world of a theatre company, perhaps a theatre company on tour, whether that was the royal court. He obviously knew 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 that through his connections to to Elizabeth and then and then and then James. It's really easy to make, to make that connection. It's, it's, there's no ang- it's question mark over, over most people's reading of whether Shakespeare was responsible for his works. What's interesting is the story of why the conspiracy theories, inverted commas, emerge. And they really only start to emerge in, in the 19th century um, and, and gather kind of force. Um, over the sort of into the late nineteenth century and twentieth and, and century, for a, lot of, for a bunch of kind of reasons, and I, I certainly wouldn't think to, to speak on behalf of people who don't think Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare. But there are there are odd candidates who are kind of pushed pushed forward as as the replacement Shakespeare, and um, people like the Earl of Oxford or Francis Bacon, um, who, who who wrote if they did write. Um, in entirely different ways they're not they're not playwrights they don't write that kind of work and, and the case of someone like francis bacon he wrote lots of stuff that that uh, is amazing but is not is not the work of a dramatist and, mm-hmm. and it's perfectly clear that that it's not and lots of people have kind of suggested that things like you know within the first folio there are kind of acrostics and sort of m- m- sort of hidden secret messages in the Printing and if you kind of follow from page one to page seven, you kind of join up the dots. You find Francis Bacon wrote this book or or something like that. And you think, well, maybe you can if you pick an F Mm. there. Yeah, exactly. But that's not how early modern books were printed. They weren't printed page by page by page. They were printed in all sorts of complex ways that were then stitched together. And and that's not how it works. And we know we know who printed them and who composited the pages. And they're it just it just doesn't make any sense. So I'm yeah that I, that I guess is what why I'm I'm saddened by it is because there isn't really any basis yeah um, and one is left with a kind of conclusion that it's a sense of discomfort in 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 Shakespeare and Shakespeare's background relatively humble although as we were talking earlier you know astonishingly well educated background from Stratford he comes to London he works as a man of theatre he works with his colleagues he writes insanely amazing plays and, and he becomes then, quite wealthy and doesn't he, 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 he becomes massively wealthy mm. Mm. Uh, and then he goes home spends a year or two in Stratford and dies end yeah. of story and I think that's an amazing enough life given yes. what he did But he probably didn't voyage to Italy. He probably didn't see the new world. He probably didn't sleep with the Queen. He probably didn't do all these things that I think people would quite like him to have done because it's kind of cool and and, and fun. But I think it's kind of cool and fun enough to have written those plays. Yeah. Well,
1: that's about as well as you can answer that question. Well,
0: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How about then if you were doing a podcast today... Imagine. I know. Um, Strange way to spend you your had, time. <laughs> yeah. If, um, and you had Shakespeare here as your guest. Ooh. What would you like to ask him?
2: Oh, that is a that's a great question. Um, I would. I think I'd ask him if he was free at seven thirty to come and see uh, <laughs> uh, <Mr. laughs> the tonight stream. Yeah, <laughs> 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 what, what a <laughs> critic he might be, though. <laughs> Tell me what you think. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I th- there's so many things. One. I think my questions would all be about, I guess, like, what does it feel like to see your work Yes. thrive 400 years after you died? And also, I think, what does it feel like to know that the world you lived in, which even Shakespeare, and I think, you know, you read Shakespeare's sonnets and, and Shakespeare's sonnets are all about what it means to think about posterity mm-hmm. and what it means to think about will people remember you? And, and he's, there are various reasons why he writes them and, and, and what he's actually kind of writing about. And I don't necessarily think he's always writing about himself. You know, I don't mm-hmm. think he's just thinking about artistic posterity, although that does come in. So he clearly would have thought about that. But I'm sure even in his wildest dreams...
0: He never would he never have imagined, would have imagined this you kind would of be... Think?
2: And also his friends and colleagues, we now we know about. We, I, yeah. you know, I, I can I can tell him who his mates were, me, 400 years later. Like, h- how mad that...
1: You spend your day, though, finding them out? I mean, no, that no, to, th- that's but, the thing. But, then is, but, you know, but to by, think by, that someone yeah. spends with, their
2: time... By Wikipedia in Shakespeare, you mm. can find out who his mates were, who his family was. And we know about those people because of Shakespeare and just sort of for, for, to be responsible for someone to to confer immortality on a particular era and time and place i think is kind of amazing is
1: there someone more famous worldwide than shakespeare do you think there's anyone else whose name is is as is recognized by as many humans on planet Earth, because I couldn't think of one earlier. I was trying to Jeez, think of Jesus. Well,
2: well, there's a different, there's a different, <laughs> there's a different, there's a different, a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, we won't go into I, that one. But yeah, yeah, that's. I, I think probably not. Although I would also, I, I, I caution that response again. With, I'm speaking as. And but in, it is talking from. It be somebody from, from the
0: who, sports world, or exactly. it all depends on what you're interested it in as of, well. Yeah. But I think it? there
2: is a there is a sort of there is an there's, there's a there's a what's what's the best way to describe it? There's a sort of there's a there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, iconness, isn't there? You know, and I think people will know the name of Shakespeare, possibly Romeo and Juliet, possibly yeah. wherefore art that Romeo? There are sort of. Or you know or there are there are tags and whether that tag is the name of the individual or the name of a play or a yeah. kind of sense of what something is about I can't think of another writer certainly who I can't who, think of who, another who, who fits that person bill. I mean imagine if he
1: was on social media now I mean he would he, the, the, the followers would be it would be, I mean, be breaking all the records surely Shakespeare more, is, is taught it's taught in China from you know it's yeah. compulsory to teach it in China Yeah. yeah. so yeah. I mean I, I, whilst there are famous sports people that they, they aren't teaching you know Cristiano Ronaldo uh, in schools yeah. around the world you know you, I couldn't think of someone where you any country in the world, but effectively, you, they would have an idea of what you meant when you said William Shakespeare. I can't mm. think of someone else who's the same. Even famous kings and queens, and I think uh, that's and true. And, and, I, and I and
2: I and I think that does slightly sort of bring us back to the point I, I touched on fleetingly about you know that that there is a story behind that as well, and that story is to do with with British imperialism and and, and, and a kind of uh, and a sort of hegemony of kind of trade and culture from the nineteenth century onwards. But I think the story is not just that, you know, in the sense that there are lots of things that went around the world with the British Empire and that, that don't have that sense of permanence. Um, and I think Shakespeare is one, partly because I think, you know, the, the, because the gift, it's perhaps not a gift, but certainly the placement of Shakespeare around the world has borne fruit, I think. And one of the most exciting aspects of Shakespeare studies and Shakespeare culture today is that range of approaches to Shakespeare from the film industry in India, to theatre companies in South America, to school children in China reading um, his work, to prisoners in, on Robben Island in South Africa in the 1980s and 1990s work, you know, reading Shakespeare and taking comfort in a kind of liberationary voice that they found there. That's, I think, that says something about what that work, um, what that work can do. Um, and helps to explain why I think you're right that you know that the individual's name, um, Shakespeare's name, I think is probably known more than any. Incredible. Certainly, other yeah. I'll, g- I'll certainly go with other writer. I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm, I don't know about other people. You may be right. You may be right. We should try and do a, try and do a survey. Can we serve, Can we survey eight billion people?
0: Um, <laughs>
2: probably not. But can no. <laughs> <yeah, laughs>
0: we we'll send out an email? Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Which, <laughs> We've got a fairly big. We'll pop about. it on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> be fine. Um, well, Will, that's been fascinating. Uh, yeah, yeah really, really interesting. Pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, it's been it's been really enjoyable listening to you and um, finding out about the work uh, you do. And it's great that you've got you've got live performances back. Now. Yeah, that's we're very fantastic. We're very, we're very thankful. Um, and how could people find you online if they wanted to find out more about Shakespeare's Globe?
2: Uh, Shakespeare's Globe dot com, um, and we're all over Twitter and Instagram and. Facebook, do people still use Facebook? No, no one uses Facebook. I think it still exists. Just about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I use Facebook. That, take, take, I take, do as take, well, take I from think think you you, <laughs> Take from that what you
0: will.
1: Okay, well, listen, um, as I said, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much. And um, I would urge people to to search you out on social media and uh, online to, to see if they can come and see these uh, yeah. fantastic and performances. Hopefully
0: our students will be all flooding back to the UK soon. Well, um, they'll be
2: very welcome when they do. We hope to see them yes. very soon. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks so much.
0: You can find out more about what we do at Bell by visiting our website at bellenglish.com.